You guys ready? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear today, hearts, uh, fertile soil postured before you, feet that want to run with obedience, minds to comprehend your word. May we slow down today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a, we have a men's group um, with some guys under 40, the age of 40-ish. And um, we, we talked to them about reading a book every month, having a partner that you can connect with, and then having a leader who would kind of oversee that group, and you kind of break into small groups. And um, I've been so blessed by these men who are part of the group called Man Up, and someone within the group Man Up, Brian. Brian, wave your hand. Let's, get, let's make him be really embarrassed. Brian, will you stand up real quick? Now, hold on. This is, this is kind of like a runway. Brian, will you model this t-shirt that you created real quick? Just, just walk towards me. Yep, do a couple spins. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So Brian uh, came up with this idea about football, and he knows the pull to football, and he hears this group talk about football and fantasy football. So within one of our meetings, he, he sent this sketch, and he said, let's create these shirts that thank good. Uh, I don't even know what the TGIS stands for. Thank goodness it's Sunday. See, I don't say God. I say goodness. <laughs> so thank God it's Sunday. And then... Um, Sundays aren't just for football. And then he put number one, Jesus, on the back. So if you're part of Man Up, just stand up real quick. Some of the guys bought shirts. And then elder, elders are a part of it as well. There's <laughs> John just loves football, and he... <laughs> So um, if you're interested in one of these shirts, talk to Brian today. I had a couple people ask about that. But I just wanted to take a minute and shine on that group. So um, we read a book a month, and if some of the men can't read well, then they listen to a book from Audible, and you'd be surprised by how many people read. Like one to three people a month might read the book. But the important thing is they're, they're um, getting material, and then they're talking about it. And last month, we talked about living a radical life for Christ and what that looks like, what that means, and, and how we fall short of that, and, and where's God's grace. But just to see this group of guys coming together and walking in unity, unity today is awesome. And one of the things that really made me excited was this, is Thursday, it was Thursday, wasn't it? Thursday, it's, no, it was Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday at Stu's house, when we all met, we said this, what would it look like if, if, if this young group of men was willing to be sensitive to the Spirit enough that when God tugs on their heart that they respond at the altar? Imagine this. Imagine if we had a group of 18 men within the church be so sensitive and um, vulnerable, not prideful, that they would be willing to respond at the altar. Take, take the altar away. Imagine if we had this group of men that during a response time, that they were willing to go find someone to pray for. I think that's where we begin to see a shift within the church. And um, I'm getting really excited about the group of guys that are meeting and reading. And, um, and then you just create community as well. So um, Jonathan Pack ordered a medium shirt. So last night until like 10.30, everyone's making fun of him for wearing a medium shirt. Well, here's the fact of the matter. We're just all jealous, okay? Karenina's like, I know. We're just all jealous that you can wear a medium, and it doesn't even look like it's medium. It looks like it fits. So, uh, so if you're interested in a shirt, see Brian. So what I'm going to try to do is honor 11.30 today. And um, I, I think I'm going to do that. We're going to be out of here by 11.30. I know the past couple Sundays, we have um, gone well past that. So, 
We're in Acts today. Acts chapter 9. We're continuing in the book. Now, do you guys remember anything about last week? See, that's how I started the men's group on Wednesday. And here's what I said. I believe that there's an application problem within the culture of our church. And what I mean by that is, is and we were talking in the name of the book as well, is, is we come to church, we might hear a message, we're encouraged by the message, or we highly critique the message, but then by Monday we forget what we critique or we forget what we are encouraged by. Right? Happens to all of us. So how do we prevent that? How do we take our faith so serious that that we have these daily disciplines that we live into? A culture that's here taking notes, reviewing their notes, and then if you wake up tomorrow, go back over those notes, process those notes with God, check the scriptures, instead of just thinking that you're going to remember everything. So one of the things that I appreciate about Elder Stu is that he's constantly taking notes. And then when things come up about, well, we didn't agree to that. He just pulls out his handy-dandy notebook, and he has it right there. But he's also taking notes during meetings. He's taking notes uh, during church. And then, you know, my hope that I I, I said to him is, I, I hope you also go... Um, go over those throughout the week. Can we become a culture where we're taking notes as well? Writing down scriptures and then going over those. Amen? So that next week when I ask you guys like, hey, what did I talk about last week? You don't have to go to the old bulletin. You can just pull to your notes and be like, well, this is what you at least said. I didn't go over them, but this is what you said. So um, Acts chapter 9 We have a guy named Saul. He's a man's man. He's a fighter. He's a leader. One with an elite pedigree who's out persecuting the church. He was bloodthirsty for Christians. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. Worked with the high priest. He wanted Christians to suffer. He seemed like a guy that had zero grace for Christians. He was out to get them. He wanted them to die. He wanted them to suffer. So he ended up going door to door to find them. That's kind of messed up, isn't it? Door to door. He wanted them to get what he thought that they deserved. Paul was the type of guy that most Christians would probably say he's past the point of ever being saved. Now, you might not mean that, but you're just like, he's so far gone that there's just no hope for him. Like, this guy's going door to door. He is crazy. I'm not even going to look at him when he walks past me. Saul, later known as Paul by his own doing, called himself the worst of sinners multiple times. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he says this, Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He said, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, a violent man. He said that about himself. Not a good person. And though we would write him off because of his sin, God didn't. It's not our job to write people off who are deceived. We are not putting them in leadership. But I am hoping that God will set them free, right? See, there's people in this room that don't want their laundry spilled, right? They just don't want to air it out. We all have those thoughts. We all have those moments. We all have those sins 
that we just don't want to expose to everybody. Now, I don't know of anyone here going door to door. If you were, you might be Dexter. <laughs> anyone know Dexter? A couple. Dexter's crazy. Saul, vicious, violent. But what's unique is God didn't give up on him. I'm very hopeful that those who are far, those who, who are in deep sin, those who, have, who are deceived and don't know the right way, that Jesus will do something in their life. And what we see here is Saul is getting ready to have an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter not only changes Saul's life, but because of Saul's life and Saul's submission to Christ, Saul ends up impacting the world. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Just a side note here. At this point in the church... Um, Christians weren't labeled Christians. They were followers of the way. So that doesn't mean today that, that if you follow the way, because there's some cults out there that are the way now. So don't just think if any church is the way that, that they're believers in Jesus Christ. But at this point in the church, the way is the way that believers were referred to. Though in a couple chapters, they're getting ready to be labeled as Christians. Paul is still out on his journey to take out Christians. See, it wasn't a one-time thing. So you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Stephen. Or was it last week? Or was it four weeks ago? Please refer to your notes. So we have Stephen, right? Stephen, the first martyr in the church. What happens is, I'll remind you, Stephen's there preaching the good news, reminding people of four Old Testament um, truths about who God was to convince um, the people that they're kind of, that he's serving the same God that they're serving, they're just deceived. They don't realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And then they got mad at him, they made up lies, and then they ended up killing him. Right in front of Saul. Saul gave approval to it. And as that began to happen, the church began to scatter. So Saul's giving approval to killing people of the way who are preaching Jesus as the Messiah. And now he's not even done yet, even after the church is spread. Vicious, evil going after the church now, door to door. Saul loved the law of Moses, and he believed followers of Jesus were spreading heresy throughout Israel. Saul was one who consumed with seemingly one thing, the removal of believers in Jesus Christ. He didn't settle for just breaking up the church in Jerusalem after the death of Stephen. He now wanted to make a journey to Damascus, and while on his way, wanted permission to imprison any male or female. Any male or female. Luke, the author, seemed to really show us how heartless Saul was. Saul didn't care about fathers or mothers or children. So Jonathan and Karenina... You guys are followers of the way. Saul would have come to your house and he would have taken you both and put you in jail. And then your kids would have had to fend for themselves. That's serious stuff. Like, why not just leave the mom? 
He's so ruthless and heartless, so deceived that he doesn't even care about little kids who can't fend for themselves. See, it's one thing if you guys were abusive. It's one thing if you were neglecting them. It's one thing if you weren't feeding them that, 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 that the kids need to be removed from the home. But you're not. It's not that way. What it was is that, that, that you were followers of Jesus, and because of that, the world hates you. And what do we learn about the, the latter times? What's, what's good will become evil, and what's evil will become good. See, there's going to become a time where, where there's a generation of people who are convinced of the same thing. That because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to take your kids. And we're going to have to take your driving privileges. And if you don't receive this mark, then you can't have anything. The time's coming. Saul wanted Christians to suffer. I mean, what would have happened to those kids anyways? Fatherless, motherless. Either way... As I talked about a minute ago in uh, Acts chapter 8-1, we see Saul giving approval to the death of Stephen. So if you guys remember, they ended up taking their coats, their jackets, and they laid them at the feet of Saul as Saul gave approval to Stephen's death. I don't know about you, but it really takes a special person to be able to stomach someone's death let alone to give approval while he's there to the death of someone being stoned. See, it's one thing to be like sitting behind a desk and you sign a paper, go kill this person. That's one thing. You don't see it, no emotions. This is how far gone Saul was. That he was there. He was there. And coats were being laid at his feet as the authority, giving approval for Stephen's death. Has anyone ever done that? I was going to say, John, where you at? Go get him, buddy. I remember the car accident that I was in, and I remember seeing that man suffering, unable to help himself. I'm not able to help him suffering just because of a car accident. How could you be the person who gave authority to give those blows? And just side note, just on topic but off topic, how could you ever give blows to the king of kings and those blows that he took for you and I? See, see that's the reason why we're here today. We're here today because Jesus was willing to die on that cross for your sin. When I grumbled at Macy and I sinned against her, when I waste a whole day doing nothing except my own kingdom, see, it goes back to the cross. But Saul was willing, he was so messed up that he was willing to give approval to that. There's some shows on TV that I can't even stomach. I can hardly stomach like seeing animals on the road that get hit and they just do weird stuff after they get hit. Phyllis asked, what's weird stuff? (laughs) They do weird stuff. I can't stomach it. Another human being gave approval you got to be messed up because no one in their right mind, no one created by God just without being a messed up person, I don't think could give approval to that. He was so far gone that he was willing to do that. He was so far convinced of what he knew was right that he was willing to die for it, per se, and that he was willing to kill others for it. He was a terrorist Taking out believers. 
I hope you're beginning to see the picture of who Saul was. He was messed up, misguided, and acted in ignorance and unbelief. Though while on his way to destroy more Christians' lives, God intervened. God is always pursuing us even when we are messed up. God is making a way for you today. God is giving you an opportunity today. He's just not moving as quickly as I want him to. God, move now. I heard another person say recently that um, it was actually this morning. He just said, you know, we don't do well with we don't do well with success, and change always comes from someone hitting rock bottom. And he said, name, name an invention that didn't first come from a problem. Well, you don't have light. There's a problem. I don't have light. So let's create a light bulb. The factory's not moving and flowing the way it should. There's a problem. Let's fix it. In our lives, we usually don't fix some of our problems until we face a problem that's got us at rock bottom. And see, that rock bottom is what's really nice is Jesus always meets us there. But you still have to choose him in that. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus had a plan. A powerful experience. He made a powerful entrance into Saul's life. I really, I really believe that God makes himself known to all of us. Scripture would even say that in Romans. Romans 1. This is the way that God had chose or preordained or thought about of how he was going to introduce himself to Saul. Now, does everyone have the same encounter that Saul has? No. And you know what? By the grace of God, I'm happy that I didn't require the same encounter that Saul required. Saul needed something to wake him up. I'm happy that my heart's not so far turned from God. I carefully say that, right? (laughs) That I didn't need this lightning bolt from heaven. We need to quit praying for lightning bolts. Just say yes to God today. The quickest way for you to encounter the presence of Jesus Christ today is to say yes to him. See, when you leave church today and something's going to frustrate you and something's going to get you opinionated and then the person within your brain, your thoughts, your best friend is going to start to tell you to think things and say things and have opinions and do this and do that and then you can either choose to follow that person or to choose to follow Christ. If you want to have an encounter with Christ, just choose him. I'm not expositorily preaching right now. I'm just giving you some advice. Choose Jesus today. That's going to fix your problem. So when you get tempted, run like Joseph. How serious are you about your temptation? (laughs) Don't stay in the same environment. Run from it. Flee from it. Get rid of your phone. Get rid of your computer. Get a new job. Pick up your Bible. Jesus had a plan in Saul's life. But he asked this question. He said, look, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Probably wouldn't have made sense. I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I'm persecuting people who are following you. Jesus is identifying with us as the body. Why are you persecuting me? He lives in us. He died for us. We're grafted into him. He's grafted into us in such a unique way. Believers, today Jesus lives inside of you. You're grafted into his kingdom. Christ identifies you with one body. We are in the one body. Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, 
We, though many, form one body, and each members belong to all the others. In Christ, we, though many, form one body. Paul is somewhat, I believe, alluding to that. That we form one body as Christians. And when, when we're persecuted, it's actually then persecuting Jesus. Right? And you want to know what? You want to know why Paul or Saul, you want to know why Saul was persecuting others? Because the others wouldn't be persecuted unless Jesus, if, if Jesus was still on earth, he would be the one receiving the persecution. Right? So it's, yeah, we, we talked about that last week. I'm giving you some other hints with Rob. Rob, you're, you're a good guy. You're not persecuted because you're a good guy. You're persecuted because you follow Jesus. It's Jesus in you that we hate. Let's continue in Acts 9. Verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And this is, this is unique. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see any more. Or sorry, anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him from the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I'd be freaking out. Anyone else be freaking out? Come on, we're a participating church. Amazing encounter, but that's one of the encounters I'm not sure that I'd be left happy about. I loved your presence. I loved talking to you, but now I'm blind. Now I have to be led everywhere. Can I really trust you that this was good? So what was Paul's account? What was... What was what was his um, recollection of this encounter? Because right now, this is Luke talking about it. Let's see what Paul had to say. So we're going to go to Acts 22 and, and hear, from, um, hear from Paul, Saul. I keep on. So we're going to hear from Saul at this point. Verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors chose, uh, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear the words from his mouth. You will see his witness to all people. Sorry, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what you are now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So Paul had this encounter. He was blind. And now Paul's telling us that now he can see. He's healed. It wasn't the encounter that I believe saved Paul. It wasn't when he had this big emotional moment that that happened, that he was born again, that that transformation came. I believe that what Paul is talking about right here is when he got saved. After his eyes were opened, but first, after he said, Get up, be baptized, and wa- wash your sins away, calling on his name. That's what we all need to do. Get up, repent of our sins. Get that sin off of us, right? Be baptized, and then call on Jesus. Jesus, I need you. That's what Saul did. He called on Jesus, and Jesus redeemed him. Paul didn't have a say in the encounter, but I do believe he had a say in his response. Every encounter with God doesn't look the same way. 
every encounter with God doesn't look the way that we think it should. Paul went blind, didn't eat, yet he still trusted God. How many of y'all went blind for three days and then didn't even eat? Because I don't know about you, if, if I go blind, I'm going to need a comfort burrito. I'm going to be eating something. He was obedient to what God told him to do. He repented of his sins and was baptized. Get back to Acts 9. We're going to skip to verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now look at this. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. We see transformation immediately. See, it was so quick that the people around him didn't even have time to know that he was living different. I truly believe that when you really bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you give your life over to him, transformation is going to take place immediately. It's the power of Jesus. It's, it's, it's not um, the power of the blood. It's, it's the power of the death and the resurrection. We need that in our church today. We need that as individuals today. We need that in the global church today. I was talking to an elder. And um, when I was talking to them, I said, we had a new person come to church. Several weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I finally stopped them after church. And I said, how are you doing, you rascal? Because this person was a rascal. Growing up, I know their stuff. And they said, every time I come here, I experience this fullness of who Jesus is. And when I leave here, I walk out of here full of hope. And I'm like, are you going to the same church that I'm going to? Wait, are you at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship? I'm not seeing stuff. And they said, I am. And what I've recognized within the body, not just our body, just the general body of Christ, is that new believers have this sensitivity and willingness and availability to the Spirit, to be full of the Spirit. But then the professional Christians who've been here a long time aren't encountering the same spirit. And when this person's telling me, I experience the fullness of Christ every week, I'm encouraged and I walk out of here hopeful. You want to know what I'm asking myself? Why am I not experiencing that as well? You want to, I can tell you why. I told you why a couple weeks ago. Go to your notes and figure out what I told you a couple weeks ago. Well, wait, I'm even going to take this a little bit deeper. I probably said it before you got here. Nobody, come on. Laugh with me. I probably said that at the first service. You want to know why? Sometimes I don't experience Christ the way that the new believer does because I'm critical, because I'm calloused. Because I'm offended. Because I'm hurting. Because my focus is on what I want rather than what God's doing. I want him to answer to what I want rather than to me answering to him.
That's why scripture says, pick up your cross and die daily. I keep on living under this illusion that once I get through this storm, then life's going to be smooth sailing. It's like, oh man, this is the last time Macy and I are going to have a disagreement. Joey, I just heard the way you talked about dishes. <laughs> you're far from it. You know, you, like, you get to these moments and you're just like, oh, this is the last time we're going to be here or the last time we're going to be here. No, life is going to be full of storms. And praise God about that because without the storms, I don't know where I would be. But we have to pick up our cross daily and die to him. Did you do that today? I mean, when I look at the faces in this room, we have quality people, good-hearted people. We have quite the bride here. I'm not being patronizing. Like, I love you people. When I was on vacation, I missed you guys. There's hurt, there's good, there's frustration. But we got good people in this room. Can we encourage one another to pick up a cross and die daily? That's what our our men's group talked about. That we need to have this greater transparency to be like, Stu, man, pick up your game. Brian, you got to do better. Out of love. Not out of being critical. So to try to just finish that thought is um, the fullness of God is here. This is his church. Can we lay down everything that's hindering us from that today? Maybe I step on toes sometime. But can you at least say, I'd rather Joey step on my toes than someone from West Liberty? Or someone who likes Michigan? Because I'll tell you I'm sorry. Or I'll tell you, you had a spider on it. And you didn't see it. At once, there was transformation. He did it at once. The power of Jesus living inside of you gives you the ability to transform your life at once. Now, if I'm honest, I don't always experience that freedom. I don't always experience that fullness. And I get frustrated with it because sometimes I mysticize God more than I do just say it's something that I have to give up. Like sometimes I just think that there's this magic, um, magic potion or magic. Like I don't think magic and weird magic. I just think that it's just like I can just claim the name of Jesus and everything's going to be okay. And I think too many Christians end, end up living that way, but there's actually a cost to count. See, God has given me the ability to walk away from sin. And God has given me the fullness and the ability to, give, uh, to forgive another brother or sister. I possess all of that within me because Jesus Christ lives within me. That's the transformation that I have to choose. It's not magic where God possesses me and I just do it. It's about Him creating character within me. And it sucks and I don't like it. I don't like having to tell people I'm sorry. I don't like not getting my way. (laughs) I don't like not having good ideas. Macy said that the other day. She said, Joey, you don't like when you don't have good ideas. And I said, I know. I don't know why. There's something in me that likes to think that I have a good idea. I'll continue to process that and figure that out. I need to slow down and say yes to God in everything. To fear Him first. And you want to to know why we're not slowing down is because we're not fearing Him. God, thank you that your grace is so abundant in my life that you don't need to knock me out, make me dazed and confused, not let me eat for three days, and make me blind. See, it's his kindness that intends to lead me to repentance. His kindness, his grace right now 
intends to lead me to this place of repentance. You read the first 10 Proverbs and you learn about fear and surrender and uh, purity. Not all the 10, but just saying there's many of them within there. The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Did you wake up today thinking that your actions are unto God and you're responsible for them? I don't want that encounter. Now, I want intimacy with the Father, but I don't want to have to require that wake-up moment. A man who was the worst of sinners was willing to suffer much for Christ now. So Paul has this encounter. He's transformed. He's living it. He's preaching it. He was willing to go against all the people who called him a faker. Well, weren't you just doing this? Well, weren't you just doing that? Aren't you somewhat lying? No, I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus. And he was willing to suffer much. A mark of a true follower of Christ is transformation. Paul's happened immediately. But I want to read to you. Look how serious Paul was about his relationship with Christ. So Saul is going to start to become Paul here. He doesn't become a new person. He doesn't become a new being. God doesn't necessarily give him a new name. Much of what I've read is he just goes by another name, Paul. Some people suggest that he already had the name. Either way, let's not get stuck there. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have... Moms, think about that. Wives, think about that. Macy was so stressed out. Um, I was stressed out. I'm not going to put that just on her. Just always moving. Imagine always moving. Paul was constantly, or Saul, yeah, Paul at this point. Paul was constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger of bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. So you got it tough. I got it tough? Not even just you. I got it tough? Okay, I've lost a couple friends. Some people make fun of me. Haven't been in jail. Haven't gone without food. Haven't received any lash, except that time Joel took that big stick and hit me with it. Do you have your notes? When was that from? I've received one lash, and that was a friendly argument. Paul did it. He believed it. He suffered. He had to respond to the encounter. And the uniqueness about this is, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says, you have to encounter Christ, and then after the encounter, then you get to say yes to Him. Then you get to choose. That's not the way it is. Paul happened, or Saul at that point, had the opportunity to have the encounter. We can all choose today to say yes to Christ. If you've never said yes to him before in a real way, you can say yes to him today. And if you have said yes to him, guess what? Scripture says, say yes to him daily. You get to say yes to him again today. In spite of what you suffer, 
I don't hear Paul quitting here. I don't hear Paul saying, but my co-worker, but my boss, but my husband, but my wife, but my dogs, but my kids, but my car, but my finances, but my friend. I don't hear him making any excuses. You know what I hear him saying is Jesus was worth it all. And we see that transformation. We see that mark of a true believer. And what I want to ask you today is, are you willing to submit to the transformation that God wants to bring in your life? Not are you transformed. You already know part of that message is already being here. I'm always... I had a youth group once when I was in Piqua, and I got a phone call on Monday. We had youth group on Sunday nights. Mark be taking notes. He's taking notes. And this parent called me on Monday, and they were mad, and they said, Pastor Joey, and I said, yes. They said, my kid came home asking if they were really saved, if they really knew Jesus. And I'm like, praise God. Like, I'm thinking a testimony's coming. Praise God. They're like, I don't like him asking that question. I was utterly confused. I said, why not? They said, because I believe that once he's saved, he's saved. So, well, we didn't talk about getting saved again. We didn't talk about getting baptized again. I said, I'm not even sure we talked about that. I think it's great when you ask the question to yourself. Now, don't beat yourself up. Don't try to get saved every week. Don't overdo it. But ask yourself, am am I living in a direction that God intended for my life, or am I just serving my own kingdom? Koi fish, koi fish cut down sunflowers. I think it's great when you ask the question, am I living where God wants me to live and doing what he wants me to do? In spite of the suffering, if you're not suffering, I would dare to say this, you're in the wrong spot. If there's not some kind of sacrifice or you giving up of something or people making fun of you, then you're probably not having the appropriate conversations. Now, I'm not saying go to work and be Westboro Baptist. Don't be like those sinners. Be a different kind of sinner. But what I am saying is transformation True transformation and the King of Kings living inside of you leads you to places that you never would go yourself. And as I shared the story last week about the broken horse, the most athletic, and I got this from John Bevere, the most athletic horse won't win a race if it's not broken. But a broken horse that's not athletic will win the race because it's willing to go against its nature into things that it never wanted to go into. I, in spite of my fears, in spite of what I feel like I might lose, all I want within me is just to be broken. I just want to be broken before God. Wherever you want to send me, whatever you want to do, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to give, I want to be broken. Transformation in my life. And you know what the good thing is? It's not about works. So my observations from Acts chapter 9. Jesus is alive. See, Acts is after the resurrection. Jesus appears to Saul, proving that Jesus is alive. So this is the description Saul's original belief system was really wrong. Don't convince yourself that you always have the right way unless it comes from the word. So Saul's original belief system was wrong. He was killing followers of Christ, yet God was willing to accept him. Salvation was possible for the worst of sinners. Salvation not based upon good works, because clearly Paul wasn't doing good works. Saul wasn't doing good works. 
Saul wasn't saved because he does he did good works. Um, but he was saved because of who cleansed him. Last point. Jesus identifies with his people. Jesus identifies with you and I today. You remember the scripture, Romans 12, 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belong to the others. So what's the prescription, right? What does this mean for you and I today? How can we apply this to our lives? Pick up your cross today. Choose him today. Expect that, say yes to the transformation that God wants you to bring. And if I continually do the same thing that I've always done, then I'm not going to walk into transformation. God's going to stir up and ask you to take steps and risks that are going to cause transformation in your life. God can save anyone. God desires us all to be saved. But we have to say yes to him. We all have persecuted Christ, right? Every single one of us have sinned against him. Sinned against him, becoming his enemy. Romans 5.10 For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. While Paul or Saul was an enemy, God was willing to die for him and reconcile him. Through the death of his son. And I believe when God looks at sinners, he sees people that he loves. People that he wants to save out of their lost hearts. This is my last scripture and we're we're out of here. And what I want to say to you is this, is if you are lost today, I believe that God is reaching out to you. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. He's working us, right? He didn't just create us and leave us alone. That's something he's working and cultivating. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, sending Jesus to die on the cross. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw us closer to you and awaken up our hearts and our minds to um, to your goodness. Draw us in. Um, reveal to us areas that were deceived. I pray that we would say yes to the transformation that you want to bring in our lives. Help us, Father, as we leave here. Help us remember. Help us to study your word. Help us to understand your word. Thank you that you're willing to save the worst of the worst and that you're willing to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.